Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Our guests today are award-winning singers, songwriters, and authors, Mark Lowry and Andrew Greer. Mark and Andrew are the hosts of a video series that appears on iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook called Dinner Conversations, Turning the Light on One Question at a Time. The two friends began the show as a way for people they admire and respect to have candid conversations about life, faith, and the things that matter to them most. Mark and Andrew both also share their backgrounds and a love of storytelling, and why honest and open conversation has always meant so much to them both. Hey, I'm Andrew Greer, and I am a singer, a songwriter, an author, a conversation starter here in Nashville, Tennessee. And my name is Mark Lowry, and I am the old one of this duo. <laughs> uh, I've been around and doing a lot of stuff for a long time. I write songs. Uh, I've written books. I've written children's books. I've sung in a quartet. I've sung solo. I've, I've been accused of being a comedian. I'm a storyteller. Yeah, that's, probably, that's probably it in a nutshell, because yeah. everything is just about the story. I remember my dad and his brothers, the Lowry boys, they would sit around and tell stories when they were young. And I was, my dad said I was like five or six, and I walked up, and I wanted to tell a story about something I'd done. And my dad stopped me, and he said, whoa, whoa, Mark, because it just probably happened yesterday. And it's like you got a little lot, lot of years <laughs> pass before you go back and tell these stories. My mother played piano in church. I wasn't athletic. I went out for peewee everything, and they, they made me the water boy because I'd get out in the left field. My dad said, I'd, he told me this the other day, he said he looked out there and I was sitting down. And he came out and said, why are you sitting down? He said, none of, our none of my friends can hit it this far out. You know, that was my thing. Why, why, would, I, why would I stand when I can sit? Uh, so I wasn't good at sports, and, uh, but I, I started singing when I was three or four and sang in church the first time when I was four. And I would come home with pockets full of nickels because the little old ladies in the church, I'd go around and collect my offering and they'd fill my pockets with nickels and mama says she would empty, she would just shake the nickels out of my pants. And uh, so singing came and then I heard the singing Rambos, which changed my life. I mean, all I knew was our independent Baptist church, John W. Peterson, beautiful but slightly predictable music. Right. And then I go to the Jones Hall, Houston, Texas, front row. I'm 11 years old. And Buck, Dottie, and Reba walk out on that stage. And my life was changed forever. Because the harmonies, and they would pull against the, the rhythm. The music stayed. It never wavered. But they would pull yeah. together with it. It was like they were riding a musical bronco. And they were just, <laughs> just I, can't, that's all, I get chills thinking about it yeah. now. My life was changed. Grew up in Texas as well. I consider it kind of the threshold of the western part of Texas, west of Fort Worth, going towards Abilene. Loved it. Very rural experience. Uh, lots of what I call real people, uh, close community. My parents had both grown up in more metropolitan areas. Uh, my mom in New Orleans. And so it had huge influences of music and culture and art. And there was a lot of music in my household growing up a ton. My mother's a professional organist and uh, also has been involved with the music of the church and in school systems for years. So that was a big part of, I remember music being, you know, the facilitator of the environment of our home growing up was music. 
And even from a spiritual experience, music was the beginning of my conversations with God. I, I always tell my mom and dad, if you hadn't introduced me to music, I don't know that I would have either, I'm sure I would have been introduced to God in some way, but I don't know if the conversation, the dialogue would have been as gracious and generous if I would have understood God to be who I believe he is to be, which is unconditionally loving. Music is just has had a way of softening my heart and my life in ways when I think it was threatening to get harder. When I was 14, uh, I put my stake in the ground and said, I'm going to believe this. I really think I've known God since the day I heard his name. Well, yeah, I've loved Jesus since the day I heard about him. But I... I June 5th, 1973, at a church camp in Nacogdoches, Texas, called Beulah Land, <laughs> yes. is when I knelt down and said, I'm, this is going to be what I believe, and I trust Jesus as my Savior, and started believing what I was singing. And that, made, that makes a difference. Yeah, well, and that's part of what you heard from the singing Rambos. I mean, oh, yes. it was their belief, yeah, their, their spirituality infused. When, when someone's personal beliefs are actually coming through their communication and, and in music, I, I just think it's, it's profound. I, I had a similar experience except with C.C. Winans. C.C., I remember I was probably 11, 10, 11, 12, and was on like the front row of a, a show, and she came out. And same thing, the way that she could... Um, draw out from you, you know, so much feeling and emotion just as a spectator while she was singing. She could draw so much out of a line and it, it just, it's, when I heard her, it was like, how could I not believe what she's singing about? Because it is so authentic in her experience right then, it's so authentic and it's making this whole experience, you know, so real. It kind of made God tangible, you know the way that she's saying it, and so much passion. And weren't afraid of performing, right? There was probably, you know, in our worlds of the mixture of performance and spirituality, and we, it's always been like this tension of, uh, but some people just own it, like, I am a performer, and to do that excellently is as much of a spiritual expression as it is to lead worship on Sunday morning in church or whatever, you know. My parents and I would drive to Dallas when I was a teenager, and they were mostly general admission shows, and we'd be like, my parents were already getting kind of silver-haired and are super, you know, pale white, and we'd be, and there's, you know, 2,500 African-American folks and maybe like 20, you know, Caucasian people, and then my parents with silver hair, it was like, ding! And uh, they would just rap I mean, they loved us so much, and I'd want to get there early to get on, like, the front row, and I would just sit there. They would stand the whole concert. I'd oh, look, I know. You know? I, I hate mean... that part. <laughs> I <laughs> love God, but I can sit and love Him. The Lord called me into the music ministry. He spoke to me, and for a Baptist to say that, I'm telling you, mm -hmm. I mean it. And it wasn't audible. It was much louder than that. It was in my spirit, and he called me. And so I said, surrendered, did, said I would. He got the word out because I told him this was his idea. <laughs> and, um, and I've been booked ever since. From 1980 to 1988, I did about 200 concerts a year right out of college, singing in independent Baptist churches, and was honing my craft, making Baptists laugh. And how that happened was because I had to do something while the little old man in the back of the church would change the soundtracks. Because you'd lay your cassette tapes out of the four songs you're going to sing that Sunday morning, <laughs> and you had to put them in order. You know, those few seconds of taking that cassette out and putting the next one in and then hitting play can feel like they're doing it in slow motion 
And Baptists don't, back then, they wouldn't clap. That's giving glory to men. That's would be silent after. Oh, yes, yes. They might say amen, but that's, okay. they wouldn't shout, but they would laugh. And that's how I knew they were listening. Hmm. And so I would tell these stories. I just started telling stories that would set up the song. You know, and so the songs eventually became exclamation points to the stories because eventually I noticed they're listening. And so I went with that and I started working on that and trying to improve that. And then that did that for eight years. Gaither found me through Roy Morgan, who he handed Bill a tape. It was just the timing. Gary McSpadden was leaving. Bill was looking. Here was a video. And that started that journey. And, uh, and at the same time I was doing that, I was also having a solo career at Word Records doing all those parody things I did. So I had two things going at once, the Gaither Vocal Band and the solo career, two different labels, two different worlds, really. I moved from Texas to Nashville to go to Belmont University as a music student, but didn't know what I wanted to do in music. No desire to be an artist, was not writing songs at that time. I ended up at Rockatown Records through Michael W. Smith uh, because one of my friends thought I might be better on the business side or just have some interest in the business side. And that's where my the background in journalism came along. I don't have any formal background in writing or anything like that, but April Hefner, who had been CCM Magazine's editor years before that, was at Rockatown and started to connect some of those dots. Then I started to write songs for some other Christian artists. But really for me, where I feel like my place of authenticity as far as what I have to offer and contribute and how do I do that came through a series of three things. Um, career stuff was changing and transitioning with Rockatown and trying to understand what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. That was the most surface thing that happened. End of a long relationship that was very painful and there was some betrayal in that and deception that just um, hit me in a place that I didn't anticipate and, and a lot deeper than I anticipated. Uh, that was a beginning of me, uh, I mean, of realizing that I had feelings. I think I was kind of coasting on the surface until I was 22 or 23. So that, that plunged me under a little bit so that when I resurrected, I had new things, new ideas, new feelings, um, especially about God. But then the third thing is I was starting to deal in my own personal counseling with some addictions I had dealt with since I was uh, really just out, since I was an adolescent. And um, I mean, beginning of adolescence. So I started hitting those head on, which at first is really great. You know, it's exhilarating when you start talking about things you've never talked about before and you bring them into the light, right? Which is a spiritual thing. And you allow God to begin the healing process through you. But at the same time, there's kind of, a, my counselor would always say, you, you kind of have this arc up because it's exciting, it's new, it's adventuresome to begin to allow healing to take place. But in, in addictive cycles, you immediately, you, you, will, you will crash and go even deeper than before. And so I think I was experiencing some of that. One thing I've learned is when the plane is out of gas, the plane is coming down. You can crash it or you can land it, but it's coming down. And I, my plane was out of gas. I couldn't hear the songs anymore and I loved those songs. I, I didn't feel the presence of the Lord. I was smiling on stage, and yet I wasn't really feeling it. But I knew if I didn't smile, people would write letters. <laughs> and so I went away for two years and lived on a houseboat. And I went away and I refreshed my spirit and I rested and I read and I prayed and I just lived, I lived a life. And um, 
And I read The Life of the Beloved by Henry Nowen. And I read The Grace Awakening by Chuck Swindoll and other books Gloria Gaither would give me. I felt like spiritually my back was up against the wall and I needed, I needed reprieve. Maybe similar, different reasons, but the feeling of what you were feeling when you needed to go take rest. Um, my plane was going down, it was going down really early in my life. And that was a bit shocking to me, real stable growing up experience, real sweet relationship with God and fairly mature, I thought, at the time. So I love nature. I love backpacking, hiking. I feel like I have the space. My head is kind of, my brain's on fire a lot. So I feel like I can relax that and kind of extinguish that and let it just relax, let my heart relax and my spirit relax within the context of nature. So I went to Wyoming for almost a year, kept everything in Nashville as it was, my house and everything, went and just backpacked, met new people, met people who were in the throes of despair and people who were uh, in really revelatory places in their life as far as spiritually speaking. And there was a piano uh, Buffalo Bill Cody built this old lodge around 1900 just outside the east entrance of Yellowstone. I met the owners of that lodge, which was not a working lodge. It was kind of centered in this more modern lodge that had been built on the outskirts of that property. And they knew that music was a part of my background. And they said, you know, there's an old piano in there from like the 1930s. You'd be welcome to play it at any time. Well, this is a completely uninsulated lodge in the middle of the Shoshone National Forest. I thought, there's no way that piano is going to be playable or anything. But I go in there, and remember, music is where I first even began talking and dialoguing with God. And when you kind of feel like spiritually that your back is up against the wall, I didn't really know how to dialogue. I was trying to figure out how to talk to him again. And honestly, someone said, what's your goal for leaving? And I said, I don't know if God is interested or even available or accessible or real, but I would like to discover who he might be if he is. I didn't even realize it then. I was also beginning to learn how to articulate my story, mm -hmm. beginning to see how other stories intersect with our own and how God's story is really like, you know, motivating all of those stories. You know, God is just so interesting. I'm not spiritual. I don't get on my knees and pray very I don't know when the last time I got on my knees and prayed, but I talk to him all the time. I think I do understand pray without ceasing. Mm -hmm. Because I'm always in continual, I think that's why Jesus calling is such a good thing. Because the overall arching thing I see when I do read uh, the Jesus calling in my phone, I have the app, is that it seems like the Lord wants us to keep our mind on him. And that's the overarching, keep your mind all through your day, your focus really should be me. How? You're not, not what would Jesus do, that's a trivial way of saying it, but just conscious of him, praying to him, talking to him. I love having a good foundation of scripture. So when I read Jesus Calling, and then they put those scriptures at the bottom to confirm, because if it doesn't sound like Jesus, I don't want any part of it. And to me, Jesus Calling sounds like Jesus. The, the, it's the same voice that I hear when he talks to me. I mean, that, it's always a loving thing. You know? Yeah, and it communicates in a way that is accessible. Mark and Andrew have a heart for knowing God and others. They talk about how they love telling stories and hearing others tell theirs, and how they began to see this as a way to bring people around the table, a dinner table specifically, to go deeper with conversations on faith, family, friendship, and more. They feel that communion around the table is a sacred thing where God shows up, 
and they reflect on how we can all get something from being together and sharing our stories. A year ago, mm -hmm. about this time, that's right. I was thinking of retiring, and uh, again, I do this every now yeah. and then, and uh, mainly because I found out I could. You know, once I found out I could, why not? <laughs> well, um, so I thought, well, what am I going to do with myself? You know, sitting this lazy boy and rot. I was sitting watching that that boy Jordan Smith sing "Mary Did You Know" on The Voice. I don't know if you saw it. Well, I'm in the Lazy Boy, and my words are going across that screen, right? Because I have the subtitles on, because I'm old and can't hear very well. And so I'm watching my words, words that I wrote in a one-bedroom apartment across town, 1984. I was just a child. And questions that I still have for Mary, plus a lot, most of the questions I have for her didn't make the song because they didn't rhyme. So I'm watching this, and it just dawned on me that my father handed me a gift. Uh, I mean, I, I, he answered a prayer I would never be selfish enough to pray. That I would, could sit in my lazy boy and reach the world. How selfish is that? He dr drug a cross up a hill. And I want to be in my lazy But you know what I realized that day? I texted Jordan Smith and this is what I said. I said, Jordan. Thank you so much for allowing me to sit in my lazy boy and through you tell the world what I think about Jesus. What a gift that was <laughs> from God. 14 million people heard my questions that point to Jesus, I believe. I believe the whole song points to Jesus. I hope everything I do points to him. I think that God is up to something. It is eternal, and it's for everybody's good. Yeah. And I just believe he's bigger than we could have ever dreamed. I trust him. I trust that he's good, he's kind, yeah. he's gracious, and that his blood is more powerful than we have ever dreamed or imagined. And grace is like looking at the ocean. We only see the top of it. <laughs> it is so big and so wide and so all-encompassing. Impossible to express. And I think that's part of conversation, is it's our opportunity to chip away little by little at the mystery of God. Not that we'll ever fully you know, get to the bottom of who God is and how beautiful is that idea that we will never exhaust God. No. You know? but, we're, but by talking with one another and by doing that in a generous, loving way where we're saying, hey, what you've got to express is important, what I've got to express. And both, they, we, everyone deserves to be heard, listened to, right. you know. I think that right there is like opening our hearts and our spirits to allow the Spirit of God to then say and speak truth you know, it's not my truth, it's his truth, hopefully abiding in and through us. And I do think conversation, I mean, I think that's the point of dinner conversations. It's saying, hey, if we just sit down in this generous place, which food is a, a thing that prompts us to be generous with one another, it's a hospitable thing, you know, and it's something we all need and that most of us enjoy. So we sit down at a, at a place of need and enjoyment and relaxation and calm and be able to express ourselves with one another. I just think that that's like the floodgates for God to express himself to us. The kingdom of God is like backing up a trailer. Whichever way you think to go, do the opposite, and you're probably right. It's upside down, it's backwards. To live, you gotta die. To get, you gotta give. You know, it's a different kind of thinking. I think that people would discover something new about themselves, something new about the people around them, and something new about God 
by being inspired to have, you know, generous conversation with one And another. I want to learn. I'm, I'm, I hope I learn a lot from this. Mm -hmm. I'm more selfish that way. I, I mean, I hope everybody gets something out of it, but I'm at, I've come for the conversation. I'm here for the conversation. Mm -hmm. I want to enjoy this conversation. I hope it gets deep and fun. But like all the wonderful conversations I've had through the years. The reason why conversation, I believe, and I think we believe is so important is because it allows for this kind of equal opportunity communion to happen. Like we believe that Jesus has set the table. We just all get invited to sit around it and discover who he is. And if we're learning something, we could probably bet someone else is learning something too. To find out more about the Dinner Conversations video series and podcast, please visit dinner-conversations.com for more information. Next time on the Jesus Calling podcast, we hear from CMA award-winning country artist, Dina Carter. The daughter of famed studio guitarist and producer Fred Carter Jr., Dina grew up around country music legends. She broke into the spotlight herself in the mid-90s with a multi-platinum debut country record. Dina talks about her early years and how a hurt she experienced in church kept her from going there for 20 years, but that God was always working in her life, leading her back. I think the biggest change has been humility in confessing my faults, seeing where I need to improve, not pointing the finger at everybody else, um, a little more empathy, those kinds of things. When, when God works on your spirit, the change starts happening with you. Today's featured passage comes from the May 12th entry of the Jesus Calling audiobook. Learn to relate to others through my love rather than yours. Your human love is ever so limited, full of flaws and manipulation. My loving presence, which always enfolds you, is available to bless others as well as you. Instead of trying harder to help people through your own paltry supplies, Become aware of my unlimited supply, which is accessible to you continually. Let my love envelop your outreach to other people. Many of my precious children have fallen prey to burnout. A better description of their condition might be drain out. Countless interactions with needy people have drained them without their conscious awareness. You are among those weary ones who are like wounded soldiers needing R&R. &R. Take time to rest in the love light of my presence. I will gradually restore to you the energy that you have lost over the years. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and you will find rest for your souls. Hear more great stories about the impact Jesus Calling is having all over the world. Be sure to subscribe to the Jesus Calling podcast on iTunes. We value your reviews and comments so we can reach even more people with the message of Jesus Calling. And if you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.